We've been in this series called Imagine the Fully Devoted Life, and I hope you've been imagining that. What we're doing is to think about and dream about what our life would be like if we were just like Jesus. What we know is, I don't see any people like that in this room today. Do you see that person on this stage? Nay, nay, thrice nay, right? Because none of us are just like Jesus in everything. We all need to grow and we all need to become more like Christ every day. And when we have a passion to do that, when we see what that would look like in our lives, that we could grow to that, it causes us to have a desire to do it and to see the impact that we can make in this world. And our world needs change. Do I have a witness out there from anyone? It needs change. And God has called us to bring that change into the world. If we are like Jesus, there is an energy source within us that becomes the power behind everything that we do, and we hear about it all the time. It's called love. Love is what drove Jesus to do all that he did, to live the way he did, to help meet the needs of people around him, to engage with people and build relationships with people just so that they would show that they were significant people. And obviously through what he did by giving himself for us and the forgiveness of our sins. We hear about that love and we know where to show it. And I want to begin there today by uh, reading a scripture to you. It's found in John 15 in verses 12 and 13 where Jesus gave this command to love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. God loved us. We're to love other people. And we see how he loved us. This is the way Jesus loved. He gave. And that's what I want to talk about today. He gave his very life. He gave himself as a sacrifice physically for us. But there are other ways in which we can give. Uh, one is that we give our time and, and serve other people just like, just like Jesus did as he walked on this earth. But there are other ways that we can give as well. Sometimes they require our sacrifice, but they require our obedience to do it. One way in which we do that is giving of resources that we give financially to make investments in ministries that matter. When we look at the early New Testament church, this was a big deal for them. They talked about this. One person in particular, a man named Paul, who was an apostle of Jesus, who was somebody who shared the message of Christ from city to city to city, would talk to these people as he wrote letters to these churches in those locations to share with them how important it was for them to give. Now, he did it for a reason. It's because he knew that for him to be able to do his ministry, that people needed to give to support him in that ministry. But he also knew for the needs of people to be met in the other churches that were located in other places, there needed to be financial resources to help meet the needs in those other locations. Paul is a great example to us of, as a, a missionary, someone who would go and to do this and to do ministry in places beyond where he was. That's the reason why he spoke about this, because he knew that if people didn't give, it would, limp, it would limit what would be able to be done for God's kingdom. One of those letters that he wrote was to a church in Corinth as he encouraged them to give. And I want to read a portion of this just so you'll pick up on the urgency of what he was talking about. 
It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do it, do uh, as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and in knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, He who gathered much did not much, did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Then in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Each man should give what he has desired in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The theme for today is about giving and What we need to know today is we need to know that God has a desire for for us to be in a position in our life where we're able to give. There's a name for that. It's called margin. Margin is that space of this is how this is these are my resources, that's how much money I have. This is the commitment that I have for the finances that I have in my life. And this area that I have left over is my margin. Paul actually talked about margin in the scripture. He talked about having enough money to give in order to help other people. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about conserving resources so that we can give. It's important for us to do that. Because what we know is that sometimes we do have margin, and instead of using that margin uh, for ministry, we'll use that margin for other things, which keeps us from being able to do ministry. Now we have something new that we've used it on instead of making sure that we have what we have so that we can invest. So that's what we're going to learn about today, and we're going to do it in a really practical way. This is the last message in this series, and what we've learned is uh, that there are specific elements that are involved in the fully devoted life if we're going to look like Christ. And we've used the four T's. The first T is testimony. Testimony is sharing our story with other people about what God did for us, how he rescued us, how he forgave us of our sins, and how our lives have been changed and different. That's the first T. 
Now, that's a discipline. It's a discipline in our life. We need to make sure that we're doing that for other people. Now, what's really interesting about these four T's is these disciplines are in a certain order because we usually master these disciplines one after the other. I'll give you an example of that. Those people who are new Christians, brand new Christians, those are some of the most excited people about telling their story to other people than I've ever met. I mean, just think about it. If you're a new Christian, it seems like, yeah, I want to tell this person, I want to tell this person, I want to tell this person. And it's just coming out of them because God has changed their life. So that's the first thing. The second T has to do with time. And time would be the second discipline that we usually learn. And we use our time to listen to God and to talk to God. We listen to God by getting into God's word and reading the scripture about the expectations that he has for our life. This is how you're supposed to live. And by using the scripture as a comparison to us. So we look at what it says and see who we are to see how do I compare? Am I like Jesus in these areas? And we learn from God's word how to change. We also pray. We spend our time praying to God and having a conversation with him. And when we do these two things, when, he, when we listen and talk, intimacy is built in the relationship with God. This is usually the second discipline that we master in the Christian life. We typically, I'm a new Christian now, and because I'm a new Christian, I've been telling people, but I want to grow, and I want to see how I can be better as a new Christian. So I discipline myself to do these things. Third T. The third T is about talents. And talents have to do with our service, our using our talents and abilities to invest in other people, to help people who are in need, who are going through a difficult time, just to serve in how God created us to serve, wherever that may be. Usually it's the third discipline that we learn. Now, y'all, as I say this, it's not necessarily true for all people because there are some people, even before they become Christians, who do nice things for other people and they serve other people. I get that. But usually in the Christian life, it's the third thing that we master because now it's like, okay, I see who I'm supposed to be. I've grown in my relationship with God. This is God's expectation for me to help other people. How can I do that? How can I serve? So I learn how to do it, and then I get engaged after I've learned and built this intimate relationship with him. Fourth thing, our talents. These, ta- or excuse me, our treasures. The treasures. So we've gone testimony time, talents, and treasures. The treasures are our financial gifts. Giving is usually the last spiritual discipline that we learn in the Christian life. And it's not true for everybody. If you're rich, some people give. But not everybody is rich. Do I have a witness out there from anybody, my brothers and sisters, all right? Not everybody is that way. But some people have immediate resources where they can do that. But many people live up to their means. They don't have this margin thing that I was talking about just a minute ago. And they need to make changes. So what happens? I grow in my faith. I begin serving. And when I serve, use my talents for other people, I see the difference that I make in other people serving but I see the difference that resources make and their needs being met. I see the difference that those resources are making. We need this to help that person. How can we get those things? Somebody needs to give so we can give these things so we can meet those needs. And now we have the burden ourselves to give. We have just grown through a process of becoming this fully devoted follower of Christ. So that's why last week and this week we're learning about the giving part. And again, y'all, it's, it's just a practical message, not a judgmental thing. I realize, I mean, we're all in a growth mode, and some people need some growth in this area. 
It may be true of you, it may not be true. But I want to give some practical ways in which we can do it and why, even if we do give, understanding why we do it. So let's look at the first statement on your sheet. Number one says this, that giving is evidence of our spiritual growth. I just went through the four T's, but this is awesome because I'm going to end this message series by saying what I just said basically through what Paul said. Listen to what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He just mentioned all four T's. So let me show you how he did that. I'm going to start with the speech part of it. So on your outline sheet, I want you to fill in this first thing. It says the mature speak in love. All right, he talks about their speech. That has to do with our testimony, right? We speak. We speak the truth to other people. We tell people our story. But we, we witness to other people through the way in which we talk to other people, that I'm always talking in a loving way to other people. It's a witness to others. In other words, I'm always to be encouraging to people and not discouraging. In other words, practically, I always should think before I speak. Has anybody ever had a problem with that one? It's easy for us to have a problem. I'll give you an example of that. Imagine that you have a wife, which is going to be a big stretch for some of you because I understand the situation, okay? So let me just say, I'm imagining that I have a wife. So you can live it out through me. I have a wife who's a terrible cook. Now, let me say this. That is a lie about Jennifer. She is an awesome cook, which means this. This is not about her. Did you hear that? It's not about her. But imagine that I have a wife who cannot cook, and she makes a meal, which is absolutely terrible, and she asked me the question, how do you like your meal? Well, I have an opportunity to either be mature or immature. In immaturity, I would say immediately, how do you like your meal? Oh, it's terrible. I would say that. Okay, that's immaturity. Now you're saying we would never do that. Believe it or not, there are some people who would actually do that. All right? But obviously you would think, you know, you'd never do that. So immaturity says I am to think before I speak. So I may say something like this. It's so interesting how you were able to put those tastes and elements together to make this meal. That was a nice way of saying, I'm not going to tell you whether I like it or not, but it was terrible. That's how you feel about it inside, right? You're speaking in a loving way. I mean, you're just sharing things in a loving way. And the way we, the way we talk to others says something about about how we feel about them. Y'all, there are people who talk before they speak all the time, and they offend people. They hurt people. And if you're a believer, man, God didn't call us to tear people down and to make them feel insignificant. He called us to make sure that what we say helps them see their value. So when you stop and you think before you speak, what you're doing, the reason why you're doing it is because I want that person to feel valued through what I say because God values all people. Are you excited about that? Say amen. He values all of us. Here's the second thing that it talks about. I, I mature. I speak in love. I mature. Right? The mature know whom to trust. This is a time thing. I learn to trust in God. The more I speak to him and listen to him, the more I grow in faith in him. Which means this. I realize that God knows more than I know. The more I spend time with him. He obviously knows more than I know. He knows the past, future, and present. I don't know. I mean, I know the past and what's going on right now, but I don't know the future. So I don't have the perspective that God has. 
So because I know God knows more than I do, then I realize I shouldn't be trusting in what I think or, or what I believe. I need to trust in him, which means this. I am not overcome by any circumstance or situation that happens in my life. None. Because I'm not trusting in my ability and power to deal with it. I'm trusting in God's ability and power to do it. And the reason why I do that is because I've grown in a relationship with him and know that God is trustworthy. I spend time to grow into that point of faith in him. Here's another thing. It also has to do with time. The mature have knowledge. I have knowledge about God. All right? Knowledge, and it uses these words in the scripture. It just talked about faith. That's the trust part about it. Speech is the speaking part of it, right? Knowledge also has to do uh, with, with the time that we have, that we learn more and more about who God is. We need knowledge because knowledge changes things. There are two really important factors related to knowledge. There is attention, and then there is retention, attention, and retention. We need to give attention. We need to give attention to things that are important to us. In fact, we do give attention to things that are important to us. There were many times in class when I was growing up that I had a teacher say to me, Tim, pay attention. Does anybody ever know what that is? Pay attention. You're distracted. There's the board. They're writing. I'm not paying attention. Here's the reason why I'm not paying attention. Because I believe I'm never going to use what that person is writing on the board ever in my life. Now do I have a witness from anybody out there, right? I'm not doing that. So what just happened? I'm not giving attention to that. Why? Because it's not important to me. If it were important to me, I would pay attention. And I would retain what is being said because I would understand that when I live my life, this is going to be important for me to be able to be successful in my life as I go throughout whatever it is. This is what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to distract us and to get our attention off of who God wants us to be. This past week, I had the privilege to go over to a social nonprofit organization called Turning Point. Uh, we have one of our, our ministry partners, one of our members, Ray Bevan, who is one of the directors in this, in this place. And y'all, it's just so incredible to me. I mentioned before that uh, I have a real desire to help people who are homeless. And I mean, this is, my, this is how I'm wired. People are wired different ways. I have a desire to help people who are homeless, people who are dealing with psychiatric issues and drug issues and all of those type of things just kind of inbred in me. And when I went over to this place, y'all, I was just incredibly encouraged because when I think about locations that are put together as shelters or for people who are on the streets, I normally think about a place where you can go get food and you can go get clothing and maybe you can stay overnight, whatever it is. That's not what this is. It is way beyond that. Yes, they give food. The Daily Bread's actually there. They give them a meal every day. Yes, they give clothes. They will also wash their clothes for them. You can leave your clothes overnight and they'll wash their clothes for you and they'll give them back to you the next day. You can use their location as a mailbox to help you have a location so you can get a job somewhere else. They have somebody who helps you with job placement to help you find a place and get a job. They have a way in which they'll connect you and help you fill out the paperwork to be able to get identification so you can get 
a job. They have a connection with uh, the, the government psychiatric facility uh, that takes in all kind of people in order for them that, hey, if you need to get to this place, we're going to get you on a bus and we're going to get you over there so that you can get psychiatric help. We're going to get you to where you need to be. They have AA that they support for those people who are dealing with drug abuse and alcoholism and all of these things. And I thought, wow, this is how you fix it. But here's the deal. The only way they're fixed is that they want to be fixed. The only way they change is if people want to change. They had an attention problem. I specifically think about those people who were dealing with drug abuse, and it was obvious. I was over there during the heart of what they were doing and got to meet a bunch of people, and it was obvious there were many of them that were high as a kite, that were, I don't know what they were on. You could just tell it by their behaviors and what they look like. And you look at people like that and say, man, this person's an addict. They weren't always an addict. They weren't always an addict. Something happened to them to cause them to think that is going to be the solution for my life. In other words, their attention should have been here to say, this is how I can live and be successful. But Satan successfully got their attention off of that onto something else to make them think that that's the answer of my life. Did you know, y'all, this is heavy right here. Did you know one of the reasons why a lot of people become addicts? It's because they can't get love from anybody else, and they're trying to find somebody else who will show them love, even if it's somebody who will give them drugs. Where did it start? They need love. They have a problem. But what we need to do is to help those people see that there's an answer. But I'll say this again. They'll never change until they get to the point where they realize they need to change. You're probably thinking, well, Tim, I'm not a drug addict. How does this deal with me? I can promise you, I know this is true of me. There are times that Satan has gotten me off course, lead me to think about things other than God and serving him. And I started serving myself. And it wasn't good for me. And it's only when God got my attention that I realized I needed to change my attention to begin listening to him and to retain what he's saying to me in order for my life to change. That's maturity. So in knowledge, in time, I need to be willing, and I will be willing when God gets my attention, to begin learning from him and being changed because of this. Here's another one. It's about talents, the mature uh, engage. They engage people who have needs. They are going through struggles and difficulties in their life, and they want to be a part of that. We see that in what Paul said through the word of earnestness. The word earnest means this. It's a serious, and it, to be earnest means to be serious and zealous in purpose, intention, or effort. Let me say it again. To be earnest means to be serious and zealous in purpose, intention, or effort. In other words, if I am earnest, I have a purpose in my life. And my intention is to accomplish that purpose. And I will use every effort that I possibly can to make sure that it comes about. So what is my purpose? What's Jesus' purpose? We've learned it before. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was his purpose. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be looking for people who need to be saved. 
They need salvation. They need a personal relationship with God. They need to know him so that they can spend eternity with God in heaven forever. They need that. But some people will need to be saved from alcoholism. Some people need to be saved from terrible relationships and abuse that's coming to them through other means. Some people need to be saved and they don't have enough food. They don't have this. They don't have whatever. They need salvation. And that should be our purpose. So what I do in my talents, God's gifted me in this way. Here's how it works. I see that person who needs to be saved. God gave me the gifts to help that person to be saved. It is my intention to help save that person. And I'm going to expend every effort to make sure that it happens. That's maturity. That's how we live. There's the fourth T, right? The treasures. The treasures. And the mature graciously give. All right, we're to be fully devoted followers of Christ. That's a mature person. Again, they graciously give. Now, you're going to notice the word gracious there because it describes the gift. If you look at it, again, it's treasures giving financially. In verse 1, verse 7, and verse 9, it all uses the word grace. I'll read verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about grace in this way. The word grace is connected to desire. When I graciously give, I give, I give financially or give in another way to other people who don't deserve this gift. Now, why do I do that? Because I have a desire to do that. Now, I can be made to give some money to somebody else because it's going to help somebody else. In fact, some people would call it taxes. Do I have a witness about that from anywhere? How many of you, the last time you paid your property taxes, said, thank you, God, for the grace of giving my property taxes? Did anybody say that? I mean, normally we don't say that, right? Because it's, we feel like it's an obligation. Grace is not an obligation. Grace is a desire to give to people who don't deserve it. That's a hard thing. Jesus gave to us, and we don't deserve it. He gave his very life for that, for that sake and for that purpose. And that's why we should give. So how does that happen? I need to make sure I have the right heart. Here's how we have the right heart. We're going to go through this part uh, pretty fast. Number two on our outline sheet says giving comes from passion. So if I want to be this person who is successful in the grace of giving, have a desire for giving, it has to be about my heart. It says this in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Passion is all about the heart. What I'm passionate about, I use my money to either get or to advance. That's what I do when I'm passionate about it. So how then do I get to the place where I have a desire to be a gracious giver? Because this is maturity for my life. This is a measurement of my spiritual maturity, okay? Being a fully devoted follower of Christ. How does it happen? Let me give you the process. First part of the process says this. We give because we are loved. The reason why we give to other per people is because we have received a gift first. It says this in verse 5, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. They gave first to the Lord. Why did they give first to the Lord? They did that before they gave to other people. It's because God had shown his love to these people. They knew love. They realized how much God loved, loved them. So they fully devoted their life to him. 
When it says they gave themselves first to the Lord, I don't know that that necessarily is a money statement. I think it's a heart statement. They fully gave themselves to the Lord, and when they did that, then they gave themselves to other people, which leads us to the scripture in John 15, 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you, which came first. He loved us first, then we love other people as he loved us Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's exactly what we saw in the scripture just a moment ago. In verse 9, it's not on your sheet right now. It, it was above. It said this again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What is it talking about? Because you don't hear about Jesus walking around with a bunch of cash and a bunch of money and all this stuff. Because it makes it sound like he was rich, so he... He gave all this stuff away and became poor for our sake. That's not what it's talking about. We give what we have to give. And what Jesus had to give was his life. That was the richness of his life. The most valuable thing any person has in this world is their life. That's why it absolutely freaks Satan out and ticks him off when we say, when he attacks what is most worthy to us, what he wants us to think is most important, when he tries to attack us, we understand we have a life, but this life is not temporary, my brothers and sisters. This is an eternal life. And that's what's so important to us. We're willing to give of ourselves for the eternity of other people. Here's the second thing. We give because we love we are loved, and now we give to other people because we love them. And there's a reason why we love them. Let me go ahead and give you the next one. It's because we connect. We love because we connect with other people. We have a relationship with other people. I'll give you an example of that. Jennifer and I have a connection. Obviously, we're husband and wife. Um, Jennifer and I, our connection, I mean, obviously began years ago. The actual connection between Jennifer and I began when we were, we were really little. Both of our dads were pastors, and they pastored in Tampa at the same time. Jennifer and I were actually born in the same hospital at Tampa General. And when, our, when the Association of Baptist Churches would get together to have some big meeting, they would have a nursery time. And during the nursery time, I was put in the nursery with Jennifer. And I'm sure it went like this. I was a three-year-old, she was a one-year-old, and she probably looked and said, that three-year-old is hot. Okay, I'm sure that's what she said. We're in here. Now, obviously, I don't remember those days. So let's go a little bit further in time. We're in Pensacola. My dad's pastoring in Pensacola. Her dad's pastoring in Pensacola. My brother-in-law is the minister of music at her church. He invites me to go on a hayride for their youth group. I'm 16 years old with a guitar and to play the guitar and sing to be the entertainment for this. So now Jennifer is starstruck. Okay, this is wonderful. By the way, this story sounds a lot different when she shares it, okay? Very, very different. She's starstruck. Here's the truth of it. I saw her and said, I need to get to know her. I mean, I saw her and I was attracted to her. 
next trip. They go off on a, on a trip. Their choir is going off on a trip to sing in some church in Mississippi somewhere. And my sister, married to the minister of music, invites me to go over there and listen to them. And Jennifer and I sat together on the bus all the way back to Pensacola. Y'all, we connected. What am I getting at? The more we got to know each other, the more we cared about each other, and the more we wanted to serve each other. You see, that's what marriage really is built on, is serving each other. Any relation, any loving relationship, any relationship is built on serving each other. Well, if that's true, that means it's true for friendships. That means it's true for people that we get to know. That means when we connect with someone at a turning point or somewhere else, and we get to know someone's name and get to know their background, and we connect our hearts linked together. This was one of the coolest things to me about being over at Turning Point the other day. And Ray was, uh, you know, I was hanging out with Ray and person after person walked by Ray and Ray was like, hey, Jim, how's it going? Hey, Jennifer, how's it going? Hey, George, how's it going? I mean, name after name after name after name, he knew these people who were walking by him. Why? Because he had made a connection. And it's the motivation behind everything that he does to reach those people. That's why we serve. At least in the next thing, we love because we connect. Here's the next thing, all right? Our connection leads to compassion. Because we get to know these people, we understand their needs, we want to serve each other. And here's the next thing, all right? Our compassion, it's talking about that, our compassion leads to giving. Because I know this person, I want to help this person. My heart is changed. My heart now is one with this other person, and I must give. That's maturity. That's why I love the scripture that we read at the beginning, that we're not to give out of compulsion. All right, somebody's trying to make us give. That we give out of a heart that's committed, that we give cheerfully to other people. That's why we give. Okay, so basically, again, in a practical way, if I'm not in that place where I'm wanting to give, then obviously I'm not making connections with people well enough uh, to have the passion to give. I'll put it in this way. Whose name do you know? Whose name do you know? Who are you getting to know? Whose name? Because you've gotten to know them, realize I have to do this. Here's the uh, third thing that I want to talk to you about uh, today. We support our passion out of margin. Now, there's a big portion of the scripture right there. I'm not going to reread it. I read it just a minute ago. But Paul clearly talks about margin. He used several ways in which to do that. Let me give you a statement that helps express that. Because he talked about this. We give according to our means. In verse 11, he said we give according to our means. In verse 12, he said we give according to what we have. And then in verse 14, he said we give according to plenty. What, Mark, what uh, Paul did is he gave a different name for the word margin. He called it plenty. That's what margin is. Margin is excess. That's a great definition. Just the word excess is margin. So what I need to do then in my life is say, okay, where is my excess? I have the passion to give to this person or to give to this ministry or to do whatever. I have this passion to do it. So how in the world am I going to do it? God stirs something within us to lead us to be willing to change. It's the next statement. He brings something in our life. Not having means causes stress. 
Did you know stress could be a good thing? Stress is something that is a warning sign to us to say that something needs to change. Stress often has to do with margin. Uh, It has to do with excess. For example, time. I have all these things to do, and I don't have enough time to do it. So what do you feel? Stress. Got all these things to do, I don't have enough time to do it. Stress. I have these things that I, some people, it's not even about the giving thing, whatever. I have all these bills, and I don't have enough money to pay the bills. What's stress? Or I don't have enough plenty margin to be able to give to other people stress. Now, what Satan wants us to do when we get the plenty and get the margin, he wants us to be distracted away from the people who need to what we want. If I have extra money, I can get this. But if I get this, I'm not going to be able to give toward that or those people. That's why we are conserving resources in order to be able to give. Am I saying when you have margin, you shouldn't get this? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we should never do anything in our margin to keep us from being able to invest in the lives of other people. Stress is the indicator. So I want to ask you, if you have stress, why do you have it? Is it about your margin? Is it about your margin? Stress is the fire alarm in your life. When you feel stress, it's a fire alarm. Jennifer cooked a meal day before yesterday. It was on Friday. And uh, there was smoke, all right? And I just said, she's a great cook. Um, she is a great cook. What she cooked was really awesome. But for some reason, when she opened the oven, some, you know how it goes, some smoke came out. Well, it got to the, the fire detector, and it went off. And immediately, our attention is, oh, looking into the kitchen. Why? Because where there's smoke, there's what? That's how we're trained. So when we feel the alarm of stress go in or going on in our life, there's fire. There's something that's causing the stress. What is it that I need to change to make the fire go out to remove the stress? Well, it takes effort. Fill in the next thing. Talks about this. We make changes in order to support our passions. We realize Something is causing this, and I have to change in order to do it. There's a word that Paul used to describe it in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 11. Now finish the, what's the next word? Work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. We do the work. Here's a definition for the word work. Work is effort to produce an accomplishment. In other words, this is what I want to do. This is the end result, right? This is my purpose, My intention is to fulfill that purpose. Now I have to put forth the effort to make sure that it happens. So what changes do I need to make in my life to create margin and turn the alarm off? What changes do I have to make in my life to create margin? Time margin? Okay, but we're talking about money. Money margin to be able to turn the alarm off and be be able to do what God says, according to his will. It says that in the scripture too. According to his will. What is it that I need to do? Well, we've been, we're one of those churches who, when we get up here and say, hey, we should be this person, or God says this, you know, when we look like Christ, we look like this, we give and all that. And it's like, man, that sounds awesome. And how am I supposed to do that? We're not the people who say, this is how. We're also the church that says, this is how we do it. 
this is how you're living your life, all right? Wow, I mean, we're off mark, but this is how you can change your life. Coming up in January, we're offering a class. It's only a four-week class. It's on Wednesday night called Budgeting Basics. How does that sound? One of the reasons why we're doing this is for the very reason of what I'm speaking about today. We want to help you make some practical changes. Anything that needs to happen in order to turn the alarm off and to be able to be in that place where you feel great about your life. Where is that, by the way? Number four. Doesn't it feel good to finish a sermon, right? Some of you have been around here to life. You're new. Many times I don't get to the last one. Here's the last one. Our giving brings joy. We hear it in two occasions. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Why? Because they knew joy really came and gave. These people didn't have a lot to give, but they were willing to give because it gave them joy. Then we find the scripture we read at the beginning in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful Giver, another word for cheerful is joyful, a joyful giver. Wouldn't it be great to be like this? Y'all, I've really loved this series. I have preached to myself 16 times. You're saying, Tim, I thought it was just eight weeks. Yeah, but I do it two times a week, all right? I've heard these messages that many times in my life, and I can promise you every week as I've looked at myself, I need to grow. And my encouragement to you right now is to allow God's Spirit, when He talks to you right now, and He's already doing, I believe it, if you're not where you need to be, to listen to Him and say yes to Him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I want to ask you, uh, some of you are right where you need to be, and that's awesome. And this really isn't a growth area for you. Okay, It really isn't a growth area, and that, that's great. But for others of you, you realize, you know, I need to be more faithful in this, or I could do this even better than I am right now. I would just encourage you to just pray and thank God that he showed that to you. And then I would encourage you to pray and ask God to give you the strength to make the changes that you need in your life to be obedient, and to be fully devoted. As I pray, I'm going to ask you to do the same. God, I thank you so much for what you've taught us today and over these weeks, and I pray, God, that it would really go to our hearts and it would bring change in us. And I pray, God, that as we not only hear it today, I pray, God, that as we leave this place, it would be something that will be on our mind, God, that we'll be thinking about through the rest of the day, through the week, just to be dreaming about how can I change? What do I need to do? What effort can I make today to be better? So God, I pray that you would enlighten us. I pray, God, that that burden, that you through your spirit would continue to just guide us and direct us in this. God, I want to thank you for what you're going to do because people become devoted to you in this area. Because, God, in our giving, when we are more obedient, more people hear about you and their lives are changed. And I pray, God, that that would be the motivation for us today. Give us a passion for people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.